Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. A statue in St. Louis's Tower Grove Park came down yesterday morning. The statue was one of Christopher Columbus, and it dated back to 1886. It had become a flashpoint in recent years. Now, in other cities, activists have forcibly removed statues of Confederate leaders. But here, Christopher Columbus was taken down by workers hired by the park. And joining us today to talk about what happened and what comes next is Peter Castor. He's a professor of Washington, at Washington University and the chair of its Department of History. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. And we're also joined today by Chris Nafziger. He's a historian of architecture. His blog is St. Louis Patina. He's also a columnist for St. Louis Magazine. So, Chris, welcome back. Thank you, Sarah. So, Chris, there was quite a movement to take this statue down a few years ago. What was driving that? Well, I think people, uh, what I was hearing, I live in Tower Grove East, and I was hearing from a lot of my neighbors, a lot of people felt like uh, Tower Grove Park was not a place where they felt comfortable or where they felt like they belonged. They, they really felt like they were not allowed to be in Tower Grove Park due to the presence of the Christopher Columbus statue. Hmm. And several years ago, um, there was a movement to have the Tower Grove park board uh, reassess whether or not the statue should remain in the park. And it's very important for people to realize that due to the fact that uh, Tower Grove Park was given to the city of St. Louis, so it's the, the park is owned by the city of St. Louis, but it's governed by a board uh, that was set up um, due to the fact that it was a gift by Henry Shaw. Mm-hmm. So it has this and, board of commissioners that had to decide correct. what would be happening here, not the mayor. Correct. And so they basically made the decision that they were going to leave the statue in the park where it was located and they were going to put up two signs. And uh, just for people who might not know, this was the statue was just east of what is probably the most prominent entrance to the park, uh, just off of Grand Boulevard. And uh, to make a long story short, I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of people who had originally initiated the conversation several years ago, I would say just listening to my neighbors um, and other people that live in Targo South and uh, Shaw, that that was inadequate. And so in the last several weeks, uh, a movement began on Facebook uh, to basically um, uh, virtually go to the next uh, board meeting, which was going to be soon, um, and basically continue uh, the protest against this statue. So this had added urgency in in the last couple of weeks. Oh, oh, beyond a doubt. Uh, Certainly uh, because of uh, what happened with George Floyd uh, in Minneapolis, this became very much, uh, much more urgent, beyond a doubt. Now, Peter, you were a guest on this show to discuss what was happening with this issue. I think this was about two years ago. And you've said that you were a a little surprised to hear the news yesterday that this statue was coming down. Why? Simply because it happened so quickly. Uh, One thing to think about is the movement to reconsider statues of Christopher Columbus and to potentially remove them actually happened almost 30 years ago. In 1992, to coincide with the 500th anniversary of Columbus's uh, first voyage to reach the Americas, people at that time were raising questions about whether those statues should still be standing. And people were calling for everyone to reconsider Columbus's role and his legacy. And at that time, even though people were uh, pushing to remove statues nationwide and, in fact, around the world, there wasn't much public support for that. And likewise, when 
folks in St. Louis were talking about this recently. There just wasn't sufficient energy for it. And what struck me was just how quickly that reemerged, and most importantly, how quickly action emerged. And I think it's entirely because the removal of Confederate statues, Confederate flags, has suddenly, it's not just validated this, those statues have come down, the world did not come to an end. (laughs) And I think people have seen that there can be a point to removing these statues and that that can happen and it can be a positive good. So you're a professor of history. Connect this for us. We're talking about the death of George Floyd. He was not himself um, an indigenous man. He was not somebody who was active in the anti-Christopher Columbus cause. How does that fit in to this movement to reassess Columbus? Well, it's also a movement to reassess statues and the push to uh, to bring down Confederate statues involved people saying, look, these statues send messages. And there are a lot of statues around the world. They're often beautiful works of art, and people think we should keep them because they're great works of art. But many statues go up to tell a story, to be like a physical history book, to try to convince people of a certain notion of the past, to know who they should venerate and who they should admire. And that was one of the roles of these Columbus statues. But a lot of the move for the Columbus statues, for the Confederate statues, was to say we should not have public spaces set aside to honor people who were agents of racial supremacy. Mm. And over the last 30 years, there's been a call to reconsider Columbus. Generations of Americans learned that Christopher Columbus discovered America. Well, he did not discover America. (laughs) The ancestors of Native Americans discovered America, but he was the first... Uh, he was one of the first Europeans to arrive in the Americas, and that was celebrated as the beginning of the United States. Mm -hmm. But Columbus was also completely entangled with the effort by Europeans first to assert racial supremacy over indigenous peoples in the United States, and later to develop the Atlantic slave trade, which would mean racial supremacy over African Americans. Mm -hmm. So even though Floyd was not Native American, even though he was not part of the movement to remove Columbus statues, to observers, I think there was a really close connection Mm -hmm. that a Columbus statue, to some people, sends the same signal as a Confederate statue, that it validates these, uh, these historic figures who were agents of racial supremacy. So one note on this local decision, which again was enacted pretty swiftly yesterday, uh, the Board of Commissioners of Tower Grove Park made a statement affirming, quote, by taking this action, Tower Grove Park reaffirms its commitment to being a place of welcome and to caring for the people's park in the best way possible. But the Post-Dispatch reported this yesterday, and this is a quote from their story. Police had told the board that officers wouldn't be staffed to monitor the statue, so the panel decided to take it down before vandals damaged it or destroyed it, according to a source close to the board who asked not to be identified. And again, that's from the Post-Dispatch. We have not verified that allegation, which is based on this unnamed source. But Chris Nafziger, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how do you reconcile on one hand this lofty statement and the other that sounds like a fear of vandalism for this statue? Well, I, I, I did find that interesting. Um, you know, several years ago, there was the controversy around the Confederate uh, memorial in Forest Park. And I did actually go and observe um, some of the demonstrations and counter demonstrations. And there were at one point when I was there, 
I would say upwards of 20 to 30 police officers stationed <laughs> at uh, the Confederate monument. And uh, I would completely believe that the police maybe in fact said that. Um, I, I was, I remember probably what stood out to me the most at that demonstration that was at the Confederate monument. And, you know, obviously just the sheer amount of rancor between the two sides was just how many police officers were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have a feeling that uh, the police department, and I obviously am not a spokesman for them, but I have a feeling that they just did not want to have to go through that, you know, spectacle again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why they uh, informed Tower Grove Park that they were not going to do that again. And it is worth noting that Confederate monument in Forest Park that you're talking about, that was removed in June of 2017 yeah. after after seeing uh, that kind of repeated attempt to, to vandalize it and to, to have it removed. Um, Chris, also, the Post-Dispatch reported in that same story that this statue is going to be cleaned and put in storage with its future undecided. Are you aware of anyone who's clamoring to take this off the, the park board's hands and install it somewhere else? No, I, I, in all honesty, I do not know of anybody who is interested in taking it. Obviously, I don't know that as far as, obviously, of course, the land is owned by the city of St. Louis. I do not know as far uh, legal issues as who owns the actual statues, if those are owned by the city of St. Louis or mm-hmm. if they're owned by a private foundation. I do not know of anybody who's stepped forward to perhaps take possession of the statue. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, the Targo Park is going to continue owning the statue okay. for the time being. Now, there is an important voice we want to get in here. Sarah O'Donnell is an archaeologist with the Historic Preservation Office for the Osage Nation, and the majority of our listening area was once home uh, to the Osage Nation. O'Donnell also represented Osage Nation on that commission that had studied this issue, as as you said, when this came up a couple years ago. She had recommended the statue be removed, and this was her reaction to the statue's removal. The Columbus statue is a very painful symbol of the attempted annihilation of Native peoples and cultures, including the Osage Nation. And it is very, very difficult to see that statue in um, my hometown of St. Louis, um, but also knowing that it's, you know, rooted in Osage homeland. Having that symbol there was really disappointing and inappropriate. And I'm very, very glad that Tower Grove Park uh, made the decision to take down the Columbus statue. And again, that's archaeologist Sarah O'Donnell with the Osage Nation. And she said they would welcome an Osage historical figure to replace Columbus. Now, Lindsay Manshack, she's a local resident. She's a member of the Choctaw Apache tribe of Ebarb. She's also the research manager at the Booter Center for American Indian Studies at Washington University. And she wrote on Twitter yesterday, quote, I've been upset by this all day. Tower Grove Park removed the Columbus statue to preserve it for safety, not to honor Native people. They omit this from their weak statement saying it will make the park a safer environment, aka locals won't tear it down. They don't need to be praised but held accountable for the years and years local natives have provided free labor, time, and efforts to get the statue removed and honor indigenous peoples. Tower Grove Park refused to remove the statue, fearing local patrons would no longer provide funds. Tower Grove Park needs to address this issue immediately and right this wrong. As a local native who has provided time and effort to this cause, a silent removal of the statue and a weak statement is not enough. And that, again, is from Lindsay Manshack, who's a, a member of the Choctaw Apache tribe. Peter Castor, do you think uh, she has a point there? 
I, I absolutely think she does. And what's so revealing about from both of those interviews is the way that you have people saying that statue had a real palpable meaning for them. It really had a deep impact on them. And they're talking about sort of the, the potential for removing it and you know, that uh, the first recording of someone, here's what this can mean for me in removing it. And I think she's also spot on in saying that this, that this was a limited act. It removed the statue, but it didn't include any statement about who Columbus was, what he did. It didn't include anything to counteract the impact of having that statue there for generations. And what both of them have indicated is the real question is, what statue is going to go there next? It's one thing to remove a statue. It's a very different matter to replace one. And that can be part of a process of trying to undo uh, the real harm that statues can do. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Peter Castor. He's the History Department Chairman at Washington University. We're also talking to Chris Nafziger of the blog St. Louis Patina, and he's also a columnist at St. Louis Magazine. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. And when we come back, we'll talk about the possibility of something replacing this. What should it be? We've heard from a lot of you, and some of you had some great ideas. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking to Peter Castor. He's the History Department Chairman at Washington University. And we're also joined by Chris Nafziger of St. Louis Magazine. And the topic today is yesterday's removal of the Christopher Columbus statue from Tower Grove Park. Um, I actually do want to go to the phone lines, though. We have a couple of callers uh, with an interesting perspective on this, and I'd like to hear from them. So um, Tom is calling from University City. Tom, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. Um, as an Italian-American, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that Christopher Columbus has become a symbol of Italian-American contributions. And, uh, you know, that might not be too historically accurate, and he might not be the best hero. But um, I think a lot of people don't realize that, uh, you know, Italians in America are one of the few other groups to be lynched in America that uh, there's colorism in the European-American community, that Southern Italians are on the cusp of being a persons of color. Uh, the Irish people in my family who married Italians used to say, don't leave those kids out in the sun too long, they're dark enough already. Mm. And uh, I just think it would be nice if, uh, you know, most of those Italians who came to St. Louis are very poor and working-class people, and I, I just think it would be nice if uh, people tried to at least think about what this what Columbus has meant to that community, and uh, if there's some way to, um, you know, maybe it's up to the Italian-Americans to find a better hero, Mm -hmm. but uh, I hate for that uh, voice and experience to to be lost. I mean, there were harsh immigration laws against Italians not so long ago. And, uh, and Tom, you make a, a great point with that. And um, and thank you for that call. Chris, I did want to ask you, I, I think the history of this statue is, is somewhat interesting. How did Columbus even end up in Henry Shaw's Park? So there's actually really great documentation. Uh, there's a Globe Democrat article um, that actually came out the day after the dedication. 
And it's very extensive and it actually goes into a, a fair amount of detail explaining what Henry Shaw's um, thinking was. And all three of those sculptures that are sort of along that central spine of Tower Grove Park, there's William Shakespeare and then uh, Alexander von Humboldt, um, so an, an Englishman and then a German, and then uh, an Italian or maybe more properly, I should say, a Genoese uh, person, mm. uh, Christopher Columbus. Henry Shaw and his speakers at the dedication ceremony, this Globe Democrat article explains, we're supposed to represent the arts and sciences and discovery. Hmm. So, and also, and I think this is very important for people to realize, and it's actually kind of disturbing, um, at the speakers at the dedication ceremony actually engaged in a fair amount of anti-Catholic uh, rhetoric. Really? Yes, um, and which is of course, yes, um, Obviously, Christopher Columbus was Roman Catholic, but that doesn't matter when you get into anti-religious bigotry. They still use people however they want to. <laughs> There's the common misconception that Christopher Columbus proved that the world was round, and that is totally incorrect. He, along with every educated European at the time and people throughout the world who were uh, in the know, had known since the ancient Greeks that the world was spherical. And sailors in particular knew that because they could tell that when they're out at sea that the world was round. Hmm. So we've had sort they, of a, a misunderstanding of that history over, over the years. Exactly. So at the dedication ceremonies, they basically claimed that the Roman Catholic Church was still believing that the world was flat. Well, I can guarantee you that the bishops and archbishops, uh, cardinals, the Roman Catholic Church would have all had been well-educated in Greek and Roman philosophy. And the, the Pope at the time, the Archbishop of you know various cities in Spain, they all would have believed and known that the world was round. So there was, it was actually very shocking to read and, and very mm -hmm. disappointing. And if it's all right, I would actually like to, to respond to what, what uh, the caller said. Sure. She is exactly yeah. right. There's been horrible discrimination against Italians in America, particularly Italians from Southern Italy. That is exactly right. And I think we do need to acknowledge that discrimination and prejudice. Mm -hmm. There's still that prejudice in Italy to this day. Northern Italians, I know from knowing Italians from Southern Italy to Northern Italy, that there is extreme prejudice against Southern Italians. Mm -hmm. um, but I might want to note that Christopher Columbus is from Northern Italy. Genoa is a city in the North. Um, I think the caller is right. I think that we should acknowledge somehow the prejudice towards the people of Southern Italy. I don't think Christopher Columbus, uh, a northerner uh, from the city of Genoa, is the right person. He might not be the best person. Uh, Peter, thoughts on that? So I really, I thought that the caller's comments were not only really interesting, but incredibly revealing. It's, and as, if we put those the caller's comments, which were so great, alongside the interviews that we heard um, before the break, one of the things they confirm is that these statues have real meaning for people, that they see their own experiences, their own personal histories affirmed in these public spaces. Um, so when people say, oh, the statue doesn't matter, the statue is just a statue, you, here you've had people on different sides of this issue who would co completely disagree with that claim. And also, the the caller's comment that you know his his history be affirmed is completely reasonable. One of the interesting things in the claim 
actually aligns with the, also with a lot of the criticism of Columbus statues. One of the things historians talk about a lot is how people who could be who could assert their whiteness and who would be accepted as white by others enjoyed material benefits in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's very much a story of Italians and Italian Americans, how they are eventually kind of embraced as white, even though they were not originally embraced that way. The same thing would happen to uh, the Irish and Irish Americans. It happened to immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe. It's a very common story. And it does get back to, helps us understand why figures like Columbus could become these lightning rods after, in Columbus's case, generations in which there certainly were people who knew of Columbus's connection to the near genocide of Native Americans. But many Americans thought, no, he's, he's just the origin story of the United States. He's connected to a great and glorious story. Uh, and I think the caller's comments really help us understand how people understand their history, why a statue matters to people. So I, you know, I, I always admire callers who call in to voice these comments. Yeah, me too. I, I feel like they lend such an interesting perspective to this show that we wouldn't be able to get with just the three yeah. of us talking. So that was a good one. On that note, I want to go back to the phone, see if we can go two for two with great callers. Um, Jim is calling from Bethalto. Um, Jim, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, um, thanks for taking the call. Um, I'm definitely not on board. I, I am on board for removing, you know, statues and glad that we're not celebrating personalities of, you know, people that have done such atrocities. Mm-hmm. Um, are we missing any teaching opportunities? Should we be looking for like a Holocaust type museum or areas to put these things where, you know, now we're not t- turning a blind eye? Yeah, to remind people of the legacy that Columbus had is what you're thinking, Jim. Is that right? Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Peter, thoughts on that? I think that's a great question. And one of the things people often say is when statues are removed, put them in a museum. And there actually can be real, real value to that. And the point isn't to remove the statue from a public space and put it in a museum where the statue can be venerated, but one way to think about it is we remove, the call to remove these statues is because the statue has all of this baggage attached to it, and we cannot deny that baggage. And the goal would be when you put the statue in a museum, make the baggage front and center. One of the things that the call to remove Confederate statues did was it was a real terrific moment of civic education which was for people to learn that these statues had not gone up in the Civil War. They went up a generation later as primarily white Southerners sought to make the case um, for the the justification for the cause of the Civil War and also to preserve Jim Crow. And many people now simply don't know that. And if you take these statues and put them in a museum, it's, I think it's only valid if you put it in there, not just to have, the, uh, to have it on display, but to make that display part of understanding the histories of those people. I like the authors, I, excuse me, I like the speaker's comparison to the way Holocaust museums do this as well. Mm-hmm. They showcase 
um, the perpetrators as a way to tell the story of the genocide. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, thank you for that call. I can now safely say we've gone two for two. Those were some great callers. Um, I also did want to mention uh, yesterday we put this question on social media of what should replace this statue. We got some great responses. I'm going to read some of those here in a second. But I did want to mention we also heard from the Parks Director of Development. That's David Lauber. He reached out to say this, quote, we welcome the community's dialogue about Tower Grove Park. However, directing energy and resources to replacing the recently removed Christopher Columbus statue is challenging at this time. We have sustained significant financial losses due to COVID-19. And for now, our focus must remain on operating, maintaining, and keeping the park open and safe for our visitors. So that's a pretty big caveat that this is more of a pie-in-the-sky discussion of who should replace it. Nobody's anteing up with this money right now. But that said, uh, some of our listeners, great suggestions. Among them, uh, Josephine Baker came up multiple times. Dred Scott. Now, there is a great statue of the Scots downtown already, but um, obviously a key figure in St. Louis history and national history. Uh, Scott Joplin. Uh, Ryan wrote on Twitter, Dick Gregory was both a civil rights leader and one of the best comedians to ever live, St. Louis native. Um, Alice writes, statues are lame. It's a park. How about a tree or flowers? Honor people and things that care about nature in a park. Uh, Someone on Twitter who goes by everybody's mom says, nobody. Let's just leave it empty to remember how long so many of us were okay with it. Um, Chris Knapsager, that's that's kind of an interesting suggestion right there. Yeah, I, I think actually, I think I kind of vaguely know who everybody's mom is. but It's a small um, town. <laughs> you know, I think those are all great suggestions. And I think, you know, I, I walked by, I went and gawked yesterday. And I was, uh, I actually had a lot of great conversations with people. And I think the best suggestion was from one woman who said it has to be a discussion with the community mm-hmm. and I, I think that was the best I think that was the ba- best suggestion um yeah I think you know obviously uh, the gift of, of the park from Henry Shaw was such an amazing gift I mean nowadays you know we see all sorts of different types of people coming and going from the community um and I think that going forward I think you know it being a dialogue with everybody in the community, mm-hmm. um, I think would be the best answer. Um, one other suggestion I would have, if anyone's ever been to London um, at Trafalgar Square, there's something no- known as the fourth plinth. So there were four places for statues around Nelson's column. Mm-hmm. And the fourth one, they never got around to building the statue for, putting one in there. So what they do now actually is they have a rotating contemporary art exhibit there where basically different sculptors from contemporary art basically get to have their sculpture there for about a year or two. And I was hmm. actually thinking that this might be the perfect opportunity for St. Louis to have their equivalent of a fourth plinth where basically artists of all sorts of different diverse backgrounds could have, you know, the opportunity to compete to have their sculpture placed there. That's a that's a, a super intriguing and, and idea. So it become a place for everybody. That's a yeah, that's a that's something thinking outside the box. We had one more I wanted to share. This came in on our Facebook page from Wayne and he writes, quote, a statue of Esther, one of the 11 enslaved by Henry Shaw and her children. When the opportunity arose, Esther made a no doubt desperate attempt across the river to the free state of Illinois. Shaw's hired bounty hunters, however, were lying in wait and captured them at the crossing. Esther's punishment for daring to be free was to be sold off, thereby forever separating her from her children. 
despite whatever philanthropy our city may benefit from by way of Henry Shaw, that history can never be undone. It should, however, be memorialized whenever possible. I thought that was a really thoughtful response. Peter Castor, one one last thing I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Michael Allen is a senior lecturer in urban design at Washington University, where you teach. He's also the director of the Preservation Research Office. He wrote an op-ed in the Riverfront Times yesterday saying that the Louis the King statue atop Art Hill, that we should maybe consider taking this down next. That seems like a huge step for a city named St. Louis. Is this something you think we ought to be considering? Right now, all statues are on the table, and they should be, uh, because for two reasons. First of all, because people often have deep feelings about this, and second, because every time people talk about why these statues were created, what they mean, it actually tends to be these... The statues were built for civic education. Every time we talk about them, it tends to promote civic education, and we're hearing that right now. You know, I agree that no matter what goes up in um, Tower Grove, the crucial thing is the process that they use, Hmm. one where people can feel like their voices have been heard, they've been able to make their case, and a lot of the suggestions that people made were that whoever the statue is, if there is a statue, whoever it's of, whatever it's of, it should be one that is different from the vast majority of the statues in St. Louis, which are mostly of men, mostly of Euro-American men, and that if there are going to be statues, they need to more fully represent who is in St. Louis, who lived in St. Louis in the past, so that it can tell those stories and tell them fully. Well, Peter Castor of Washington University, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been just a really fascinating discussion, so thank you. My pleasure. And Chris Knapsinger of the blog St. Louis Patina and also St. Louis Magazine, thank you. Great, thank you for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.